Could we, uh, could we stand up together? I wanted you to take time to rotate your chair so that you don't end up with a strained neck. Um, I'm so excited about today. I want to just say a couple things before we pray. First, the one who knows you the best loves you the most. He knows, he knows everything that's going on. He knows every hidden thing that you may hide from other people. He knows everything. And it has not changed his mind about loving you. When God comes to expose things today, it is not to shame you or condemn you or to put you down. It is part of the process of setting you free. Jesus came to set us free. It is why he died on that cross. But we must come into agreement with him on the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Would you just pray with me as we open our hearts to to God? Lord, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And God, where, where fear has gotten in, and become empowered in our lives. We become imprisoned. And Lord, and then the danger, Lord, is we, we, we learn how to live with it. And we, we just push it down. And we, we live at a different level than what's going on deep inside of us. And then we get really good at that. We get really good at hiding. In our work, in our sports, in our schedule in our internet in whatever we get whatever we use to hide we get really really proficient at hiding and this morning father i'm asking that this could be a safe place this could be your living room right here that that we are we are at a place where we are welcome and we are accepted and that we don't have to have a guard up in fact that we can put our guards down. Lord, you desire truth in the innermost being. Would you come into the innermost place? Identify what is enslaving us. Help us to own it. And then, Lord, set us free. Holy Spirit, would you please, please hide me today. I'm not here as the guy that can do anything except to be a voice for you. Could each man hear what the Spirit is saying to their hearts? Please, God, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. So here's how I got to this message. I was, I was on my way to India, and it was an eight-hour flight, and they had movies that you could watch. And there was this movie, came out in 2018 in England, called The Mercy. 
And the movie is about, uh, it's, it's based on a true story, this guy in 1968 named Donald Crowhurst. And uh, what happened with this guy is he, he's got a beautiful wife, he's got three little kids, um, but he is going through a midlife crisis. And what happened in 1968 is somebody had just sailed around the world manning a boat and with only one stop. So this business guy made a new contest. Who can make it around the world with no stops? And he, he gave a 5,000-pound reward, and anybody could sign up, and you had to leave by October 31st. There were three months you could leave, and, and you would be timed. And, but the winner gets the 5,000 pounds. And as Donald Crowhurst is hearing the challenge of this, he, for a business, he sells navigation equipment. He's not a sailor. He's an amateur sailor, but he's not a professional, but he sells this navigation equipment. But something stirs in him when he hears the challenge. And he explains it to his wife. He says, you know, I want to make a mark. I want to make my mark. This is, this is my chance to be somebody important. That I'm, I just feel like I'm uh, 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 just this little speck in the mass. And here's, here's a way to really do something. And, and I only go around once. And I want to make a mark. It's a response to the first fear we're going to look at today called the fear of insignificance. And so he, he, he signs up for this thing and he, he goes to his banker and he says, uh, this is going to be really good for the business because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the navigation equipment that, I'm, that I have made. And he had had some new safety devices that he'd been working on. And, and he said, please loan me the money to build this boat and I will we'll get money back and then some. I'm a, I'm a good risk. And they said, okay, we need some collateral though. So put your business against, against this loan. And so he has this Boat built, but it takes a lot longer than he thought it would take. And it's way more expensive than he thought. Has anybody ever been in a project that's more expensive and takes longer than you thought it was going to take? And, uh, and so he ends up having to go back to the bank to get more money to finish this boat. And he says, okay, but you're going to have to, we're going to need some collateral again. So he puts his house against this thing. And, but it's delayed, delayed, delayed as somebody is building this boat for him and he's trying to get all of his inventions on the boat. And the problem is, is time is running out. And the later in the year that he leaves, the more dangerous the sale is going to be. He has to leave by October 31st or he can't win. And it is the end of October and he is not done yet with all of the things that he was going to put on this boat and he's having second thoughts. So professionals have said, this is really, really dangerous for a professional. And here you are, an amateur. And he's having second thoughts. But the problem is, is the whole town knows about this. And everybody is now excited about him doing this. And he's going to be kind of David against the Goliaths. And, 
And he would, he would be shamed to, after all of this, to not actually do it. And so we, we see a second fear. The fear of failure is driving him. The fear of insignificance gets him into it. The fear of failure gets him, so he ends up leaving on October 31st, and the boat's not even completely done. Well, then what happens is it, it's not going well, and the boat starts, gets in a storm, and some of the screws are not holding, and water is in, and he's bailing it out, and this is just, it's just absolutely horrible. But he is thinking about, he's got nothing to go back to. If he quits, he loses his business and his house, and, and there's no provision for his family. Third fear is a fear of financial lack. And so in that place, he decides this. He is going to start making up coordinates. He's going to make it look like he's way farther along than he is. And he starts logging all of these places and, and he's, his, he's transmitting his positions and the word is getting back. And now they've got it in the London paper that this guy, David, is beating Goliath. He's way ahead of everybody. And, and the more that it gets out there, the more there is no turning back from this plan. He has to turn his transmitter off when he's at the place where he should be going around Cape Horn. He's nowhere near it, but he turns the transmitter off because he would lose transmission at that point. This is the 60s. And he is working on all of these fake logs and he, uh, he ends up having to go aground, which is illegal because uh, it, the whole idea is you, it's, it's without a stop. He has to repair his boat and because it's, it's leaking. And so everybody's going to know that he stopped. So he gets back out there. His, his plan is, by the way, he's not going to go around the world. He's going to double back. And he's going to make it look like he went around the world so that he can win and get that money. But once he makes that repair, he realizes, I'm going to be exposed as the fraud that I am. The fear of exposure is the fourth fear. So here's how it here's how it ends. I'm sorry to waste to ruin the movie for you, but here's how it ends. His wife and his three children are out on the pier waiting for his arrival. Because of all of the positions he's given, he should be coming any moment. And at the same time, they're waiting. This wife and kids that desperately need their husband and their father. He is committing suicide at sea because he can't face the, the exposure that will come of him being a fraud. And he starts out as this really, really good guy. And I'm watching this movie, and all I can think about is at every stage, all this guy needs is a savior. He needs somebody that can, that's bigger than him, that he can confess this thing to, that he can look at this fear, that he can face this fear, that he can pray about this fear. But he does it all alone. And the devastation on his family 
and on everything that he could have become. It's all wasted because fear took over this man's life. Henry, Henry David Thoreau, the famous poet, said this. I feel like God's calling right now somewhere. Okay. Here's what he said. Most men live lives of quiet desperation. Most men live lives of quiet desperation. Today, God doesn't want one man in this place to have that testimony. The enemy tries to isolate us. He tries to get us living in these fears and, and not even knowing that we have them and pushing them down, pushing them down and, and basing our lives on these hidden fears. And today, God wants to set men free of these four fears. So let's go after them one at a time. Number one, the fear of insignificance. It's December 1999. I am 37 years old. I've got a beautiful wife. I've got four healthy kids, young kids at that time. And I got really, really discouraged. I had come to uh, this new church in Montevideo. I was sure there was a revival breaking out when we came. It looked like revival was going to happen. And by 1999, it's clear that that is not going to happen. And here I am in this small town pastoring this small church, saying pretty much the same thing every week to the same people, and I am, I am depressed. I feel like my life is not making a difference. I feel like I've got one chance to do this thing, and, it's, it, and here I am stuck in this small town doing the same thing day after day after day, and I just got really, really discouraged. And so my wife unbeknownst to me, sends out this letter to all of our friends. We, every single year we watch It's a Wonderful Life and the story of George Bailey who's going through the midlife crisis. And, um, and she uses the whole story of It's a Wonderful Life to just say to our friends in, in Madison and in Faustin and the new ones in Montevideo, Tom is, is going through a rough patch. Could you write something in that encourages him and 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 we're we're going to watch we're going to have a big party watching it's a wonderful life and i'm going to present this scrapbook and so she gets letters from all over the place and people write in and you know you've made a big difference and you're awesome and da 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 and uh and so i get presented this thing right before christmas on december 1999 and honestly it did break me out of my discouragement but it wasn't because the letters were, it wasn't the encouragement of the letters. It was the embarrassment. <laughs> I was just embarrassed that I, I've got so much going for me and I am giving in to self-pity. My life is pretty good and I, I was just embarrassed that I had become so discouraged when I, when I really have so much. But I, I've, I've had a chance to look at this fear of insignificance, and I want to I read to you from Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 13. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. 
He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, and he's looking back on a midlife crisis that he had. He was just filled with despair because he felt like his life was meaningless, that everything I do is meaningless. It's just all like uh, like the wind. It's everything that's been done has been done, and, 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 and there's no meaning to what I'm doing. And the conclusion is this. Listen. The burden that God has put on the human race is this. He's put eternity in our hearts. But we, we don't get to see the big picture. And so what we need to learn how to do is trust God with the burden of the big picture and just do good every day and find satisfaction in the toil itself. Not in what will the result be or how will it work out, but just in actually doing good to find our joy in God, to find the gift of God in the simple things, just doing the good, the next good thing that God has given you. And I, and when I say toil, I'm talking about men being productive. It's not necessarily employment. It can be employment, but just doing, doing that next thing and finding a joy in just doing it with God. The burden that God has put on our on the human race is this is that if you if you can picture a jigsaw puzzle where we are given a piece every day but we never get to see the you know how you always prop up the box to see what you're making and it makes sense every piece makes sense when you've got the box up there that is beautiful what you're making is beautiful but we don't get the box we get the piece and we have to trust God, that he's making something beautiful, that he is beautiful, and that he's making something beautiful. Listen to this. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 11. Make it your ambition, that means your goal, to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands. Here is the reality, guys. This relationship with God is cultivated more in the mundane, how you do the mundane everyday things, than it is in how you do the heroic. The heroic things that might happen in our life, the huge price that we pay, the the amazing thing that we might do, that, that comes around maybe once or twice in a lifetime. The relationship with God is cultivated in the quiet The peace of walking with God every single day. We were at our staff retreat, and we pray over each other, and Alice and I were getting prayed over, and Dick Babbler um, had a a word for me. And he said, said, I heard a preacher say this, but he said, but I want to give you this word, and I want to give it to you. It's so great. Here's what he said. Any man can count the seeds in an apple. But only God can count the apples in a seed. And then he said this. 
if you want to be great, do small things well. If you want to be great, do small things well. Guys, in this life, Jesus made it so clear. We're operating in seeds. You can't see immediately the effect you're having. Just keep planting seeds. Elijah became depressed. He went through this midlife crisis because he felt like the kingdom of God was losing and he looked at the world and he looked at Israel and and God wasn't doing a good job and he said, just take my life, I'm done. And God came to him and 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 he whispered to him. And this is something that I have with me all the time now. And he said this, Elijah, I want you to leave this cave and I want you to go anoint. And he gave two specific people. I want you to start doing something and trust me with everything. And by the way, Mr. Elijah, you think you're the only one. There's 7,000 in Israel that haven't. I'm doing way more than you think I am. I need you to trust me with everything. And I need you to do something. And so I, this is my life. Every day, I just want to do, I don't want to do everything. I just want to do something. I just want to do something good, something well. And I'm, I'm content to trust God with everything. The fear of insignificance. Secondly, the fear of failure. I was in uh, college. I had just gotten saved. I was memorizing verses. The people that I was with were very into discipleship. And it's the end of uh, the, the winter semester. It's December of um, 1981. And I had never experienced tests at this level where one test is like a third of your grade. They don't care whether you went to class. They don't care. what. I mean, uh, I could always get good grades because I could do what they required. But this is like a third of my grade is on this test. And I'm, I'm sitting waiting for this test to come. And I am absolutely paralyzed with fear. I'm like, if I flunk this test, I could flunk out of the business school. And then I, if I flunk out of the business school, I could never get a job. And, and pretty soon, like, my whole life is going to be a failure if I don't pass this test. And the pressure and the fear of it was, was just gripping. And, of course, when you're paralyzed with fear, it's hard to do good at anything. It was the first time I had the Holy Spirit whisper a verse to me because I, I had just memorized it within the, the, the last couple of months. And it was Isaiah 41, verse 10. Listen to what God says. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed or discouraged, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And as that word went through me, peace just came to my heart and all of a sudden I was free I had no control over the result I could still flunk it's not about the result it's about I was free to just do what I could do to just do what I could do and to trust God 
with the result. There is a tremendous freedom in embracing the worst possible result. (laughs) Esther said this. She was encouraged. This is what God wants you to do. It was very risky. And she said this. If I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. You guys fast for me, pray for me. I'll do the right thing. And if I perish, I perish. That's what the three young Hebrew men said. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, who was using fear to intimidate, I'm going to throw you into this fire. And they said this. They said, hey, our God is able to deliver us from that fire. And he will deliver us from that fire. We can't think of any reason why he won't. But even if he doesn't, even if we burn in that fire, we are not going to bow down to intimidation and fear. Guys, there is a tremendous freedom when you accept the worst possible scenario. Here's what it says in, in Revelation 12, 11, that we overcome the accuser. That's the devil. That's the one that uses fear to try to control people and try to control men. It says this. We, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and by not loving their lives even unto death. Now, here's what I want you to remember. What appears like failure in man's eyes is often a great victory in God's eyes. Purpose that you're going to succeed before God and trust God with how you're going to appear before people. You don't have to be a success in people's eyes to be a success in God's eyes. The fear of failure. Third, the fear of financial lack. So as a pastor uh, that just has a smaller income than most other professions with a wife and four children, a wife that is a stay-at-home mom, finances were always tight for us. And that issue of is there going to be enough was always on the forefront. And this thing has to be dealt with in the, in the heart of men. Look at Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Powerful, powerful passage. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say... With confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I want you to see something that in this context, the Lord is my helper is about finances. It's about don't be ruled by money. Don't be ruled by the love of money. Whatever money looks like, God says, listen. I want you to trust me. I want you to know that I am willing to help you. Here is something that I feel like the Lord gave me for this morning. God is not calling you to be the provider for your home. He's calling you to be the leader of your home. He wants to be the provider of your home. He wants you to know that he is an abundant 
provider. It doesn't matter how much money is in the bank when you have got the provider. It's why Jesus' first miracle, he changes the water into wine and not a little. It's an abundance. From the very beginning, Jesus let these guys know, when you're traveling with me, there's always going to be enough. Even without money in the bank. When he multiplied the loaves and the fish, and 5,000 men ate, probably over 10,000, 15,000 total ate. They got into the boat, and the, and, the, and the men were scolding each other because they had forgotten the bread. There were leftovers. There wasn't just enough for all those people. There were leftovers. They had 12 baskets of leftovers, and, but they forgot them. And the men are, are, are all worried. Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And these guys look at each other. I know what he's talking about. I know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about you forgetting the bread on that other side. And Jesus gets grieved. And he says, guys, I am not worried about the bread you forgot over there. He said, didn't you guys learn anything? He said, are your hearts so hard? He said, how many people ate? They're like, hmm, oh, 5,000 men. And how many baskets were left over? He makes them sit. 12. He said, how is it that you don't know? I'm not talking about bread. I've got an abundance. I am hooked to almighty God. And there's always going to be enough. You don't have to worry. You travel with me, and there will always be enough. We need to lead our families in this area. Number one, in generosity. I told our kids and my wife right up front, we, we are in covenant with God. God is our provider. I am not the provider. God is our provider. And I gave him Malachi 3, 10 and 11. God says, test me in this, and this is for men. Test me. Bring the whole tithe in. Test me. You can, you can afford to tithe. Actually, you can't afford not to. Anyway, uh, he says, see if I do not open up the heavens and pour out a blessing that you cannot contain and that I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And from the very beginning, I've, uh, we've been in covenant with God, with tithing. I've always, I've always used, I, I, I don't pay my tithes because that would be under the law. I give my tithes. The promise of Malachi 3, 10, and 11 is still good uh, in the new covenant. The Bible says all the, the, the answer to God's promises, which are all Old Testament, is yes in Christ Jesus. God will be our provider. And what I taught my kids and my wife is I'm not the provider, and my job is not the provider. God can open up heaven. God's got resources in heaven. So I led, I led by this life of we are in covenant with God, and he is going to take care of us. This is not the weight on my shoulders. It's on God. But then secondly, and be content. And so what we've learned is to be content. Be content with what you have. Just because your furniture isn't brand new, just because you got it at the rummage sale doesn't mean it's not a blessing. Just because you can't be on every trip and, and of course, in this world, the bigger, better, more expensive. Guys, that's not where joy is from. And it's a real trap to think it is. 
and I, I led my family. Well, no, we're going to be we're going to be content. We're going to have things that are more valuable than the newest, the the be- most beautiful, the best vacation. You can you can you can you can have joy in a vacation to Stoughton <laughs> if God's on that vacation. Kids, get in the car. We're heading to Stoughton. The Smiths are going to Hawaii, and we're going to Stoughton. Get excited. And I led our family in trust. When Matthew was 10 years old, he wanted a computer for Christmas. And, of course, when Christmas comes along, everybody wants to give what, and I, I just stopped that thing right where it was. I said, buddy. Dad can't get you a computer for Christmas. That's not going to happen. I said, I want, I want you to be content with not having one, but I also want you to know that it's your right as a child of God to ask God. God could supply a computer. I don't know how he would do it, but he's not limited to my salary. So if you want to pray, we can pray for a computer. And then, But our responsibility is to be content even if it doesn't come. And so we prayed. Ten-year-old, little childlike faith, God, you know, I don't have to have a computer, but I'd like to have a computer, and da-da-da-da-da. A week later, I get a call from this friend. He said, Tom, he said, I don't know how to tell you this. He said, but I am supposed to buy a computer for Matt. I'm supposed to buy a computer for your son. And he said, and it's not supposed to be like the bare model. I want all the bells and whistles that you can imagine that Matt, that you know Matt wants. I want that. I'm supposed to buy it, but here's the condition. It, I have to give it to him anonymously. He cannot know that it was from me. What was happening there, guys? God is speaking to a young man that somebody heard that prayer. Christina was in college. She was going through kind of a crisis because um, it's a long story, but we needed provision. We needed financial provision for her to go back or she was going to have to borrow for the first time for college. And it, it, we were just right on the... And we, we prayed and she prayed. And the way God brought the money together, she got this huge scholarship that was uh, came from nowhere. I got some extra money from speaking somewhere that I put towards it. All the money came together at just the right time. And she, uh, she would say, this is the event that solidified her faith forever. <laughs> that, oh my God, heard my prayer. Last year in this men's breakfast, I told the roof story, and I'm not going to tell it again, but uh, I had a leaky roof, and I told God, your roof is leaking because that's how it works with this thing. Everything, everything, when you're in covenant with God, you're just a steward. He's the owner. You're the steward. God, you got a leaky roof right now. And, and we couldn't repair it. Winter was coming, and ice was coming, and they said, this, the, the shingles all have to come off. That You cannot do a little stop and and so I get the quote. It's fifty eight hundred dollars, um, and we don't have that money. And I said, God, this is. But I prayed about it, and I really felt like God said, "Do it." And I said, God, you're going to look really, really bad in three weeks when that bill comes if 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 you don't get this money. And guys, I wrote it down on my journal last year. I gave you all the numbers in three weeks. F- 
it was over 5,800. It was 5,800 plus 10%. God knew I was going to tie them the money that came in. And uh, that money all came in in the next three weeks, and I wrote every single number down in my journal because it was so amazing to me. And when that bill came, we wrote a check for $5,800. God is an abundant provider. You don't have to take on the, the weight that you're the provider for your family. He wants to be the provider. He wants you to lead your family in generosity, contentment, and trust. And then finally, number four, the fear of exposure. James five sixteen. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The healing here, guys, is not physical healing. Here's why we know that. Because the two verses before that are about physical healing. And it's the instructions are to go to the elders of the church, and they will anoint you with oil, and they will pray the prayer of faith, and you will be physically healed. This one is about confess your sins to each other, expose yourself to each other, and pray for one another. And you will be healed on the inside. The very thing that caused you to sin, the reason why you sin is because something's broken on the inside. You need a healing from heaven on the inside. Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted. And he said in this place of exposure where you allow other men, other people into your life, and you take down the guard and down the, I'm going to put my best foot forward. And you just are honest in that place of integrity. Other people are going to be able to pray for you. And the grace of God will heal you. And the very things that you're confessing now, you'll be healed from. So that sin doesn't have to control your life. So I've had these bumps on my back, cysts, and for years now, and the kids have all made me promise, please, Dad, get those things off. They look horrible. And, uh, you know, men, men don't like going to the doctor. I don't like going to the doctor. The doctor had already seen these, and he said, there's, you know, the, I could take them off, but there's no, no, you know, no big issue. But I promised my kids, because you, you hug me and you can feel the bump. They're like, Dad, please get that bump off. That is just horrible. And I'm like, okay. So, well, it, it became easier because... This one was starting to hurt, and uh, the, the pain was getting greater and greater, and Alice looked at it and said, oh, Tom, this is just horrible. So I had an appointment set up, this is last week, and to, to go in there, and in the meantime, uh, uh, you know, it, it's almost impossible when you're the pastor to keep people from hugging you, and people hug, and of course, men do the, the pat, and it was always right on that infected bump. It was just, ow, 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 but I didn't say it. It was just easier to take the pain rather than explain, I've got some thing growing on my back that's infected. Anyway, so, uh, so he, he, he opens that thing up. He looks at it, and he says, whoa. And the nurse is there, too. And he takes this, this and he says, this is, this is going to hurt. And, and uh and he takes a, a knife, and he, he, he pokes that thing. And this thing, like a volcano, it just starts popping. And the nurse had never seen anything like it. She was like, oh. I mean, you, that, that is not the reaction you want to see when somebody's working on you. The medical person, whoa. 
So he, so Dr. Cramper is having fun with this thing. So every gauze pad that's filled with stuff, he, he shows me. And, you know, and the first one is just, it's all yellow and green. And then, and then, and then it starts turning red. And then, and then he does the squeeze to get all of it out of there. And, uh, and he says this to me. Here's what he says to me. He says, I'm going to leave this exposed. And he said, don't worry about it. The exposure is actually what's going to heal it. The exposure is not going to hurt it. If I sew it up, it will probably become reinfected. I am leaving it exposed. And in that place of exposure, it will heal itself. And I got to thinking about the hidden, the hidden fear and about God wanting to put uh, his knife in it and then leaving it exposed because it's not going to hurt you. It's going to heal you. Here's why a Christian man does not need to be afraid of exposure because here's our confession, man. Our confession is not that we are awesome and that we are amazing, and that we are these amazingly godly people. That's not our confession. Our confession is we are in a relationship with an awesome God. We are in a relationship with a God who loves us, who is patient with us, who walks us through every single thing, and he is transforming us as we walk with him in this process. That is our confession. The hero of our faith is not us. you got to be okay with this. Sometimes men want to be the hero. You're not the hero of this thing. If you do this thing right, there is a hero, but it's not you. It's Jesus. And if you're okay with Jesus being your hero and letting everybody know he's the hero, Paul said this, I work more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. So let's stand to our feet as we come to an end. If you wouldn't mind, this is actually probably the most important part of the whole uh, time together. Would you mind just closing your eyes for a moment? Holy Spirit, would you go one-on-one with each man right now? There's not a man in this room that you did not die for and rise again from the dead for. There's not one in here that you do not love so much, so much, that there was nothing you wouldn't do, including laying your own life down. Lord, you are for every man in this room. There's not one man in here that you're hoping doesn't make it. You want every single one of them to make it. And so, Father, I pray for everyone first that's going through the midlife crisis. What, who am I and what am I really accomplishing and am I making a mark on this world? Am I even doing anything? Lord, in Jesus' name, would you let them see your eyes right now that you are significant to God, that you are my beloved. You are the one I died for. Your relationship with me is the most valuable 
thing. And I want to walk with you every day. As you just do your what might seem to the world as a meaningless job or menial task or just doing stuff that's going to be again. When you do it for me, it is transformed. When you do it with me, it transcends. So God, in Jesus' name, I'm just speaking prophetically to man. Get out of that cave called discouragement. God said to Elijah, leave this cave. Uh, It is that easy, guys. Leave. Leave. I had to get embarrassed out of my cave. (laughs) Leave the cave of discouragement and depression in Jesus' name and go anoint someone. Go do something good for someone else. Go, go just put your hand to something and trust God with the burden of what he's making out of your whole life. There's something beautiful that he's making. You can't see it, but he's making it, and you can trust him with everything. And not just your life, but the whole world. You could trust him with America. You could trust him with this world. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in, in the nations, I will be exalted in all the earth. He is, at the end of this thing, it will be seen that God is absolutely beautiful. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for those that are suffering under that fear of failure and living to, to self-preserve and to try to always be a success in other people's eyes. Lord, I break that thing in Jesus' mighty name. What if, what if, what if? I break it in Jesus' name. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not discouraged, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Be at peace. In Jesus' name. Father, for those that are going through financial, and I don't know why this one is so huge, but... But, well, you said it. You said you can't serve God and money. Either one is the ruler or the other is the ruler. God, would you take your knife out and pull out of our hearts the love of money and that money is the answer and that religion is just kind of something you tag on, but money is where the real world lives? I break that fear in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, thank you that you know we live in the real world. You know that we have needs. And you said that we could trust you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. For the Father knows that you need them. Lord, would you show yourself there's somebody that needs a financial miracle right now. Lord, would you show yourself as a generous, able provider. Multiply fish and bread, I ask right now for my brothers in Jesus' name. And finally, this fear of exposure, feeling like I'm a fraud, feeling like I'm, I'm this way here and I'm this way somewhere else, and therefore I'm a fake, I'm a fraud. I break that fear in Jesus' name. You never confessed to anybody that you were amazing. So don't let the devil hang that over your head. You said that you were saved and that you were in a relationship with an awesome God that's patient with you and that is transforming you little by little. Now, God, I pray for the the James 5 accountability groups that we would more and more get connected to one another and be willing to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that we can be healed. Lord, I know this is on Earl's wish list. Lord, put us together as men 
And God, as I look out over these men, I see an army here. I see an army of men that you want to change the world through. Jesus, would you fill all of these men this morning with the Holy Spirit? And would you send us out of here, God, encouraged, lightened, to just go out and do good and trust you with the big picture. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, man. God bless you.